200,000 francs reward. Lupin had not been more than ten minutes with the Baron, and the duel was commencing. The accusation was hurled, definitely, violently, implacably. Lupin repeated, You yourself got up in a false beard and a pair of spectacles, bent in two like an old man. In short, you, Baron Repstein, and it is you for a very good reason, of which nobody has thought, which is that, if it was not you who contrived the whole plot, the case becomes inexplicable. Whereas, taking you as the criminal, you as murdering the baroness in order to get rid of her and run through those millions with another woman, you as murdering Lavernu, your agent, in order to suppress an unimpeachable witness, oh, then the whole case is explained. Well, is it pretty clear? And are you not yourself convinced? The baron who, throughout this conversation, had stood bending over his visitor, waiting for each of his words with feverish avidity, now drew himself up and looked at Lupin as though he undoubtedly had to do with a madman. When Lupin had finished speaking, the baron stepped back two or three paces, seemed on the point of uttering words which he ended by not saying, and then, without taking his eyes from his strange visitor, went to the fireplace and rang the bell. Lupin did not make a movement. He waited, smiling. The butler entered. His master said, You can go to bed, Antoine. I will let this gentleman out. Shall I put out the lights, sir? Leave a light in the hall. Antoine left the room, and the baron, after taking a revolver from his desk, at once came back to Lupin, put the weapon in his pocket, and said, very calmly, You must excuse this little precaution, sir. I am obliged to take it in case you should be mad, though that does not seem likely. No, you are not mad, but you have come here with an object which I fail to grasp, and you have sprung upon me an accusation of so astounding a character that I am curious to know the reason. I have experienced so much disappointment and undergone so much suffering that an outrage of this kind leaves me indifferent. Continue, please. His voice shook with emotion, and his sad eyes seemed moist with tears. Lupin shuddered. Had he made a mistake? Was the surmise which his intuition had suggested to him, and which was based upon a frail groundwork of slight facts, was this surmise wrong? His attention was caught by a detail. Through the opening in the baron's waistcoat he saw the point of the pin fixed in the tie, and was thus able to realize the unusual length of the pin— Moreover, the gold stem was triangular and formed a sort of miniature dagger, very thin and very delicate, yet formidable in an expert hand. And Lupin had no doubt but that the pin attached to that magnificent pearl was the weapon which had pierced the heart of the unfortunate Mr. Lavernu. He muttered, You're jolly clever, Monsieur le Baron. The other, maintaining a rather scornful gravity, kept silence, as though he did not understand, and as though waiting for the explanation to which he felt himself entitled. And in spite of everything, this impassive attitude worried Arsène Lupin. Nevertheless, his conviction was so profound, and besides, he had staked so much on the adventure, that he repeated, Yes, jolly clever, for it is evident that the baroness only obeyed your orders in realizing your securities, and also in borrowing the princess's jewels on the pretense of buying them. 
And it is evident that the person who walked out of your house with a bag was not your wife, but an accomplice, that chorus girl, probably, and that it is your chorus girl who is deliberately allowing herself to be chased across the continent by our worthy Ganimar. And I look upon the trick as marvelous. What does the woman risk, seeing that it is the baroness who is being looked for? And how could they look for any other woman than the baroness, seeing that you have promised a reward of 200,000 francs to the person who finds the baroness? Oh, that 200,000 francs lodged with a solicitor, what a stroke of genius! It has dazzled the police, it has thrown dust in the eyes of the most clear-sighted. A gentleman who lodges 200,000 francs with a solicitor is a gentleman who speaks the truth. So they go on hunting the baroness and they leave you quietly to settle your affairs, to sell your stud and your two houses to the highest bidder, and to prepare your flight. Heavens, what a joke! The baron did not wince. He walked up to Lupin and asked, without abandoning his imperturbable coolness, Who are you? Lupin burst out laughing. What can it matter who I am? Take it that I am an emissary of fate, looming out of the darkness for your destruction. He sprang from his chair, seized the baron by the shoulder, and jerked out, Yes, for your destruction, my bold baron, listen to me. Your wife's three million, almost all the princess's jewels, the money you received today from the sale of your stud and your real estate, it's all there, in your pocket, or in that safe. Your flight is prepared. Look, I can see the leather of your portmanteau behind that hanging. The papers on your desk are in order. This very night, disguised beyond recognition, after taking all your precautions, you would have joined your chorus girl, the creature for whose sake you have committed murder, that same Nellie Darbal, no doubt whom Ganimar arrested in Belgium. But for one sudden unforeseen obstacle, the police, the twelve detectives who, thanks to Lavernu's revelations, have been posted under your windows. They've cooked your goose, old chap. Well... I'll save you. A word through the telephone, and by three or four o'clock in the morning, twenty of my friends will have removed the obstacle, polished off the twelve detectives, and you and I will slip away quietly. My conditions? Almost nothing. A trifle to you. We share the million and the jewels. Is it a bargain? He was leaning over the baron, thundering at him with irresistible energy. The baron whispered, I am beginning to understand. It's blackmail. Blackmail or not, call it what you please, my boy, but you've got to go through with it and do as I say. And don't imagine that I shall give way at the last moment. Don't say to yourself, here's a gentleman whom the fear of the police will cause to think twice. If I run a big risk in refusing, he also will be risking the handcuffs, the cells, and the rest of it, seeing that we are both being hunted down like wild beasts. That would be a mistake, Monsieur le Baron. I can always get out of it. It's a question of yourself, of yourself alone, your money or your life, my lord. Share and share alike, if not the scaffold. Is it a bargain? A quick movement. The baron released himself, grasped his revolver, and fired. But Lupin was prepared for the attack, the more so as the baron's face had lost its assurance and gradually, under the slow impulse of rage and fear, acquired an expression of almost bestial ferocity that heralded the rebellion so long kept under control. He fired twice. Lupin first flung himself to one side, and then dove at the baron's knees, seized him by both legs, and brought him to the ground. The baron freed himself with an effort, the two enemies rolled over in each other's grip, and a stubborn, crafty, brutal, savage struggle followed. Suddenly Lupin felt a pain at his chest. "'You villain!' he yelled. "'That's your lavender trick, the tie-pin!' Stiffening his muscles with a desperate effort, he overpowered the baron and clutched him by the throat, victorious at last and omnipotent. "'You!' ass he cried 
If you hadn't shown your cards, I might have thrown up the game. You have such a look of the honest man about you. But what a biceps, my lord. I thought for a moment, but it's all over now. Come, my friend, hand us the pin and look cheerful. No, that's what I call pulling a face. I'm holding you too tight, perhaps? My lord's at his last gasp. Come, be good. That's it, just a wee bit of string round the wrists. Do you allow me? Why, you and I are agreeing like two brothers. It's touching. At heart, you know, I'm rather fond of you. And now, my bonny lad, mind yourself, and a thousand apologies. Half raising himself, with all his strength, he caught the other a terrible blow in the pit of the stomach. The baron gave a gurgle and lay stunned and unconscious. That comes of having a deficient sense of logic, my friend, said Lupin. I offered you half your money. Now I'll give you none at all, provided I know where to find any of it. But that's the main thing. Where has the beggar hidden his dust? In the safe? By George, it'll be a tough job. Luckily, I have all night before me. He began to feel in the baron's pockets, came upon a bunch of keys, first made sure that the portmanteau behind the curtain held no papers or jewels, and then he went to the safe. But at that moment he stopped short. He heard a noise somewhere. The servants? Impossible. Their attics were on the top floor. He listened. The noise came from below, and suddenly he understood. The detectives, who had heard the two shots, were banging at the front door, as was their duty, without waiting for daybreak. Then an electric bell rang, which Lupin recognized as that in the hall. By Jupiter, he said. Pretty work. Here are these jokers coming. And just as we were about to gather the fruits of our laborious efforts. Tut, tut, Lupin. Keep cool. What's expected of you? To open a safe, of which you don't know the secret, in thirty seconds. That's a mere trifle to lose your head about. Come, all you have to do is to discover the secret. How many letters are there in the word? Four? He went on thinking while talking and listening to the noise outside. He double-locked the door of the outer room and then came back to the safe. Four ciphers, four letters, four letters. Who can lend me a hand? Who can give me just a tiny hint? Who? Why, Lavernue, of course. That good Lavernue, seeing that he took the trouble to indulge in optical telegraphy at the risk of his life. Lord, what a fool I am. Why, of course. Why, of course, that's it. By Jove, this is too exciting. Lupin, you must count ten and suppress that distracted beating of your heart. If not, it means bad work. He counted ten and, now quite calm, knelt in front of the safe. He turned the four knobs with careful attention. Next, he examined the bunch of keys, selected one of them, then another, and attempted in vain to insert them in the lock. There's luck in odd numbers, he muttered, turning a third key. Victory! This is the right one. Open sesame, good old sesame, open. The lock turned. The door moved on its hinges. Lupin pulled it to him after taking out the bunch of keys. The millions are ours, he said. Baron, I forgive you. And then he gave a single bound backward, hiccuping with fright. His legs staggered beneath him. The keys jingled together in his fevered hand with a sinister sound. And for twenty, for thirty seconds, despite the din that was being raised and the electric bells that kept ringing through the house, he stood there, wild-eyed, gazing at the most horrible, the most abominable sight. A woman's body, half-dressed, bent in two, in the safe, crammed in, like an over-large parcel, and fair hair hanging down, and blood, clots of blood, and livid flesh, blue in places decomposing, flaccid. The Baroness, 
he gasped. The Baroness. Oh, the monster. He roused himself from his torpor suddenly to spit in the murderer's face and pound him with his heels. Take that, you wretch! Take that, you villain! And with it, the scaffold, the brand basket! Meanwhile, shouts came from the upper floors in reply to the detective's ringing. Lupin heard footsteps scurrying down the stairs. It was time to think of beating a retreat. In reality, this did not trouble him greatly. During his conversation with the Baron, the enemy's extraordinary coolness had given him the feeling that there must be a private outlet. Besides, how could the Baron have begun the fight if he were not sure of escaping the police? Lupin went into the next room. It looked out on the garden. At the moment when the detectives were entering the house, he flung his legs over the balcony and let himself down by a rainpipe. He walked round the building. On the opposite side was a wall lined with shrubs. He slipped in between the shrubs and the wall and at once found a little door, which he easily opened with one of the keys on the bunch. All that remained for him to do was to walk across a yard and pass through the empty rooms of a lodge, and in a few moments he found himself in the Rue du Faubourg Saint-Honoré. Of course, and this he had reckoned on, the police had not provided for this secret outlet. "'Well, what do you think of Baron Repstein?' cried Lupin after giving me all the details of that tragic night. "'What a dirty scoundrel! And how it teaches one to distrust appearances! I swear to you, the fellow looked a thoroughly honest man!' "'But what about the millions?' I asked. "'The princess's jewels!' "'They were in the safe. I remember seeing the parcel.' "'Well?' They are there still. Impossible! They are, upon my word. I might tell you that I was afraid of the detectives, or else plead a sudden attack of delicacy, but the truth is simpler and more prosaic. The smell was too awful. What? Yes, my dear fellow, the smell that came from that safe, from that coffin. No, I couldn't do it. My head swam. Another second and I should have been ill. Isn't it silly? Look, this is all I get from my expedition, the tie pin. The bedrock value of the pearl is 30,000 francs. But all the same, I feel jolly well annoyed. What a sell! One more question, I said. The word that opened the safe. Well, how did you guess it? Oh, quite easily. In fact, I am surprised that I didn't think of it sooner. Well, tell me. It was contained in the revelations telegraphed by that poor Lavenu. What? Just think, my dear chap, the mistakes in spelling. The mistakes in spelling? Why, of course. They were deliberate. Surely you don't imagine that the agent, the private secretary of the baron, who was a company promoter, mind you, and a racing man, did not know English better than to spell necessary with an E, attack with one T, enemy with two N's, and prudence with an A? The thing struck me at once. I put the four letters together and got Etna the name of the famous horse. And was that one word enough? Of course, it was enough to start with, to put me on the scent of the Repstein case, of which all the papers were full, and next, to make me guess that it was the key word of the safe, because on the one hand, Lavernu knew the gruesome contents of the safe, and on the other, he was denouncing the baron. And it was in the same way that I was led to suppose that Lavernu had a friend in the street, that they both frequented the same café, that they amused themselves by working out the problems and cryptograms in the illustrated papers, and that they had contrived a way of exchanging telegrams from window to window. 
That makes it all quite simple, I exclaimed. Very simple. And the incident once more shows that, in the discovery of crimes, there is something much more valuable than the examination of facts, than observations, deductions, inferences, and all that stuff and nonsense. What I mean is, as I said before, intuition. Intuition and intelligence. And Arsène Lupin, without boasting, is deficient in neither one nor the other.